Hi, this is Tiffany and you are listening to Tea Stained Pages. I am back with another book and this time it is Human Acts by Han Kang. The tea I have chosen for this episode is barley tea. It's mentioned in one of the chapters and this is a chapter that I always go back to and read. So, barley tea is going to be what's keeping me company for the next hour and probably for the next three days as well because the barley tea in the book is served cold so there's just a jar of barley tea in my fridge at the moment. Human Acts was published in 2014 in Korean and it was translated to English by Deborah Smith and published in 2016. This novel opens in Korea during the Gwangju uprising and we meet 15-year-old Dong Ho and we see how his death and more broadly how the Gwangju uprising continues to impact Koreans. In this book, Han explores humanity's capacity for great violence and great compassion as she attempts to reconcile these two paradoxes. Whenever I read this book, I'm always surprised by how young Dong Ho is. He is only 15, but he experiences so much violence. Just to clarify as well, the Gwangju Uprising is also referred to as the Gwangju Massacre, but because Han uses the term Gwangju Uprising, that is the term I'm going to be using to discuss the events and the book itself. I have done my best to research the context of this book and the facts surrounding the uprising. So what I am discussing with you is what I have understood from my research and I would like to apologize in advance if there are any inaccuracies. In the book's introduction, the translator Deborah Smith actually gives a very brief historical overview of what led up to and what happened in the Guangzhou uprising. It was this book that made me realize how important context is to a book. I think that if the introduction wasn't included in the book, or if I did not read the introduction, I would not have appreciated the book as much as I do now. It's a heavy book, it's one of those books that just sit on your chest because there is so much emotion in it and it is so visceral that I just couldn't read the whole thing in a single sitting. I had to put it down, take breaks from it and then pick it back up again. So it's one of those books. I received this book as an advanced review copy, so essentially the publisher gives me a free copy of the book before it is published. I read it, write a review, post it up and tell other people about it. And this book was my first introduction to Korean literature. So Han and this book holds a very special place for me because it was like, oh okay, so this is what Korean literature is like. And I think once you find a book from a culture, it makes it so much easier to find other books from or about that part of the world. Going into the author, Han is known for her work, The Vegetarian, which was the first Korean book nominated for the Man Booker International Award, and she won the prize. During the time I was reading Human Acts, or I think maybe just before it, one of my friends was actually reading The Vegetarian, and she was telling us about it, but she couldn't remember the name of it, and I think she called it something like The Vegetable or The Cabbage, and we were like, oh okay, so what's the what's the book about? And she's like, it's about this lady who wants to become a cabbage. And we were like, okay. Like, we just couldn't take her seriously and we kept making fun of it. And she got really frustrated because it's a genuinely good book. And we were like, yeah, about a lady who wants to become a cabbage. <laughs> and it wasn't until I was reading Human Acts and did some research on Hong Kong that I realized that my friend was actually talking about the vegetarian. Maybe you she didn't call it the cabbage. 
we would have taken her more seriously. But the fact that she couldn't remember the title and then described it like that, we were like, what kind of books are you reading? But if you're interested, you should definitely check out The Vegetarian as well. I think Han uses a very interesting method to examine how societal expectations can impact individuals, especially those who openly reject societal norms. Han was born in 1970 in Gwangju, and her father is a well-known Korean novelist who has received numerous literary awards, and many of which Han herself has also been awarded with. Fun fact, her brothers are also writers, so you get a real sense that reading and writing must have been really important within the family. In 1980, when Han was about 9 or 10, her family moved up to Seoul, and they moved just four months before the Gwangju uprising occurred. This move was simply by chance. There was no political unrest that they caught wind of and moved out of the town because of that. They only moved because their father happened to get a job in Seoul, and because of their move out from Gwangju, the family carried a lot of survivor's guilt with them. So I've mentioned the Gwangju uprising quite a bit, but I haven't told you what it is. In the lead up to the Gwangju uprising, Park Chun-hee was assassinated on the 26th of October 1979, and this assassination abruptly ended an 18-year authoritarian rule and left behind a power vacuum. And following his assassination, martial law was declared over South Korea. In December 1979, General Chun Du Hwan was able to seize power through a military coup, making him the de facto leader of South Korea. By May 1980, Chun was officially the director of the KCIA, the Korean Central Intelligence Agency, which had far-reaching powers, meaning that Chun was able to interfere with politics and domestic affairs. During this period, citizens began fighting for democracy, and there was an anti-martial law demonstration at Seoul Station on the 15th of May, 1980. In response to this, Chun extended martial law to the whole nation and dispatched military troops to enforce it. This declaration of martial law meant universities were closed and any sort of political activities was banned and the press was censored. Gwangju was a particularly sensitive area during this time. Not only were there student protests about the closing down of universities, but there was also protests by unionized workers about their working condition. On the 18th of May, students in Gwangju began organizing peaceful protests, but Chun ordered for this to be suppressed and told soldiers to use full force, resulting in soldiers opening fire on peaceful protesters and unarmed civilians, marking the beginning of the massacre. One of the most powerful passages in the book occurs in the first chapter, where we see the after effects of this event. Han doesn't open with the violence itself. She opens with the aftermath of it. She opens with the funeral rites of the victims who have died. And it is here that Dong Ho asks, Why would you sing the national anthem for people who have been killed by soldiers? Why cover the coffin with the taeguki? As though it wasn't the nation itself that had murdered them. And the taeguki is the Korean national flag. So essentially what Dong Ho is questioning is, if the nation killed these people, why are we singing the national anthem? Why are we tarring their bodies with the national flag? But a lady who works with him corrects him and says, but the generals are the rebels. They seized power unlawfully. How can you call them the nation? 
So here there is that notion that the nation is not only made up of the government, but it is equally made up by its citizens. And if a 15-year-old boy is willing to take care of the dead and help families identify the bodies of their loved ones, isn't he as much the nation as the government itself? And I think it is for this reason that they sing the national anthem and cover the bodies with the national flag. But Donghe doesn't understand this. Going back to history, because of the violence that the Guangzhou civilians faced, a civilian militia was formed and they took weapons from the local police. Rather miraculously, they were able to force the army into a temporary retreat, but this respite did not last long as the army came back even more violent. Overall, this whole event lasted nine days. The government's official announcement estimated that around 150 people were killed, but unofficial tallies suggest close to 2,000 people died. The Guangzhou uprising was what earned Chun the nickname the butcher, because it was how many students referred to him among themselves. The Guangzhou uprising was so horrific that many bodies were unidentifiable or the army had transported bodies to mass graves, meaning that many victims were not given the proper burial rites by their families. And burial rites are very important in Asian culture because we believe that if you do not send the body off properly, the soul will remain in this world and it will wander as they have problems left that are unresolved. And I'm going to talk about burial rites later because there's an interesting extract in the book that I do want to talk about. So as I said before, the event of the Guangzhou uprising lasted nine days. And on the 27th of May, the uprising was crushed by a US-approved operation, which killed and injured many civilians. So once again, America butts its head in. In the introduction, Smith notes that the far south of the Korean peninsula has a long history of political dissent and underrepresentation within the central government. And this is why the government was able to cover up the details and statistics of the Guangzhou uprising for so long. The uprising wasn't memorialized until 1997, and there's still disputes regarding the official figures. Smith states that geographically, Guangzhou was far enough from Seoul that it seemed like it was off the mainland, so you get a sense of how things were unfolding and how alone Guangzhou was during these events. Han wrote this book in 2013, and she said that while writing Human Acts, she spent 8-9 to nine hours every day for 3 months reading documents that recorded the brutal acts that occurred in Guangzhou and other moments of cruelty that happened during the 20th century. In an interview with the White Review, Han states that the more she read, the more she lost faith in humanity. And I think it is also really important to note that Korea had a really tumultuous history during the 20th century. They went through the Japanese occupation, which lasted from 1910 to 1945. Then there was the Korean War from 1950 to 1953, which it itself was against the backdrop of the Cold War. And you can't ignore the fact that this is a nation split and families were separated, so Korea went through a lot in the 20th century. The White Review did an exceptional job of interviewing Han, so if you're curious about Han, I'd highly recommend you check out that article, because it is so evident that the interviewer did their research and read the book before they sat down with Han, so there's a lot of depth and there's a lot of interesting discussions that they have there together. An observation in the interview that I want to talk about is that it notes that human acts cannot be classified as a historical novel, as its historical plus is not neatly over. The Guangzhou uprising 
having only happened in 1980, is still within living memory, and Han acknowledges that the Gwangju uprising has had a lasting effect on the Korean psyche, and part of it is because it is within living memory, but also because the truth surrounding the events was suppressed for so many years, and probably actively censored as well, and it prevented those who were involved from finding closure. Han talks about the fact that when she was writing the book, she refused to talk to survivors from the uprising, and she did all her research through documents, or she asked people who weren't directly involved with the Guangzhou uprising what their impression of it is. And she states that this is because the victims of the uprising have already had to relive the memories and experience of the Guangzhou uprising itself when they had to recount facts for reporters or had to recount facts for investigations. And Han didn't think that she was in a position to force families and force victims to relive that experience again. So that was the events of the Guangzhou uprising itself. I want to provide a bit of information about its contemporary context as well. Human Acts is a very timely book. So Han started researching and writing this book in 2013, which is when Park Geun-hee was inaugurated as president, and she's actually the daughter of Park Chung-hee. So Smith notes in the introduction that Han's novel is a personal and political response to recent developments, which is probably why the book spans from 1980 to 2013. I also want to note that the English publication was in 2016, and Park Geun-hee was later impeached in 2017, and she is currently serving her prison sentence after being found guilty of the abuse of power and coercion. Take that how you will. So that was kind of all the like historical and contemporary context about the book and the author. I'm going to move on to the book itself now. Fun fact, this book was my related text for HSC English, like the final exams you take in high school. This was the book I chose to write about in conjunction with my prescribed text. So I know way too much about this book in terms of its English techniques, and I'm so sorry if that seems true here. The book plays around with conventional form quite a bit. It's classified as a polyphonic novel, which means that each chapter is told by a different character but all of them are linked by the event of the Guangzhou uprising and Dong Ho's death. And usually, I don't like these kind of books where you go between characters because sometimes it just feels like past the parcel or like one character is more interesting than another so you're more invested in their storyline. But I didn't have that with human acts. I think part of it might be that we never actually go back to the same character again or that each character reveals a different aspect to the uprising. The book itself is quite short, there's only about 200 pages and there's 7 chapters, which means that you don't spend a lot of time with each character themselves, which usually means that sufficient empathy isn't built up between the reader and the character. And empathy is really important in books, because if you don't care about the character, you don't care about the rest of the books because you aren't invested in their character, they can die, or they can suffer, or they can fall in love, and you'll be like, meh. Whatever. So I was worried about having a shallow relationship between the character and the reader, but that didn't happen and I think that is a testament to how well Han writes and her skill as a writer. Each chapter is titled by a description of the character and the year. So the first chapter of the book is called The Boy, 1980, 
it's kind of impersonal, it kind of draws the reader back from the book as you aren't introduced to characters by their name. You're introduced to them by a role that they have. So there's probably something there that Han is trying to make a note of that I'm not too sure what it is. There is also a chapter in the book that's, oh, wait, this might be a little spoilery. So if you want to read the book, I reckon skip forward a minute or two. So there's a chapter in the book titled The Writer 2013. And this book was published in 2014 and Han worked on this book in 2013. So in the very last chapter, The Writer 2013, Han breaks the fourth wall and blurs the line between fact and fiction. And it is here that we learn that Dong is a real person and it makes the whole book even more heartbreaking because you understand that this is a very personal story to Han and you kind of wonder how much of this book is fact and how much this book is fiction and this last chapter entirely changed the tone of the novel. Interestingly, Human Act is also written in second person, so most books are either written in first or third person. So in the entire first chapter, you are Dong Ho, and it uses the second person you to refer to the reader constantly. In the first and second chapter, you are Dong Ho, I can tell you that. But sometimes you are a bystander who is watching events unfold on the sidelines. Sometimes you are a victim, and sometimes you is used as an accusation by Han, who asks, how can you be passive in the face of such brutality and such violence? Another thing that's really interesting to note in Human Acts is that while the novel begins with great violence and brutality, it ends with human dignity, and Han states that this is a conscious decision. When she was doing her research, spending that eight or nine hours looking through documents, Han states that she lost faith in humanity and she didn't want that to happen for her reader. And I guess that's why she ends it that way, because it becomes a reminder that humanity is also capable of great kindness. And I think Han is trying to engage with the idea that if you can see each person as a person, as an individual, as a whole human being who has a life, a family, has dreams, has hopes, has fears, if you can understand and see every person like that, you cannot or you wouldn't be able to make them go through such brutality and such horrific experiences. I also want to talk a bit about the translator too, Deborah Smith, because there's always a really interesting relationship between translator, author, and book. I always thought that translating was just translating, but there are certain times where a translator must choose what words to use for a certain thing, or how to translate a book so that it still holds the meaning that it had in the original text. Smith wrote an essay for the Asymptote magazine in 2016. And as a quick introduction, Asymptote magazine focuses on translated works. So you should definitely check them out. They frequently do interviews with authors and their translators, and they talk about that relationship. They also give you sneak peeks into upcoming translated works and translated short stories on their website where you can read it in English but you can also listen to it in its original language, which is a totally different experience because you can hear the prose and the rhythm of the writing. So 
That's the Asymptote magazine and Smith wrote an essay for them where she talks about the slippage's intense in the novel. So the novel frequently goes between past tense and present tense and they don't really give you a very good indication of when it happens. And this was done purposely to disorient the reader so that they can experience what the character themselves are going through. And this aspect of the book I found hard when I first started the novel because it was hard to tell when you're going back in time and when you were in the present time. Even though Smith, I think in one of the chapters, she does put subheadings to help with that. However, I think once you understand that the Guangzhou uprising is part of living memory and memory rises up unbidden at times and the book is written in such a way where characters are doing something but then the memories of the Guangzhou uprising surfaces during these times, it emphasizes the fact that this novel is not a historical novel. As Smith writes that the past is unfinished business, both for the nation and the individuals involved. It erupts as repressed memories for the traumatized, and this shows that their lives have not moved on and violence recurs. It is not as easy as surviving something and moving on. This is an event that continues to haunt people. Smith also had a really hard time translating the title. So the Korean title is actually The Boy Approaches, which is very appropriate because it links well with the notion of memories being repressed. And Dong Ho is that memory in this book. Smith chose the title Human Acts for two reasons. Firstly, Han's titles are always neutral and not political. And secondly, it was a way to express that the same individuals can be tender and violent, brutal and sublim, but one does not cancel out the other and one cannot atone for the other. So Han doesn't let one action diminish the other. They are kind of seen as an absolute hoe by themselves. Another note about the translation, the second last chapter of the book is called The Mother 2010 and Han wrote this chapter in the Guangzhou dialect. So this was impossible to replicate in English and I kind of wonder what we lose in the translation of the book because I wonder what the prose would have sounded like if we heard it in Korean. I think that Han choosing to write the chapter in the Guangzhou dialect would convey a sense of how a mother talked to her son. I'm going to backtrack a bit now and go back to the importance of burial rites. So as I mentioned before, burial rites are really important to many Asians because if the proper burial rites aren't followed, the soul cannot move on. And Han actually has a chapter on this called The Boy's Friend, 1980. This is the second chapter of the book, and this chapter is told in the point of view of a soul of a dead body. Because he hasn't been offered the proper burial rites yet, this soul remains attached to his body. So he stays by it and he watches it rot and he watches it decay. And this is really interesting because when Smith was translating the book, she notes in her essay for Asymptote that when you are translating Korean, often you have to omit the word body. And she gives an example. So in English, you can say she turns or she leans against a wall. But in Korean, you lean your body against the wall or people bump into your body rather than into you. So there's a separation of you and your body. So in Human Acts, Smith actually keeps a few of these instances to emphasize the body as separate from the self. And this works really well, especially for this chapter, because there is this idea of the body as a vessel and the body teeth is the soul. So the soul cannot leave until the body is taken care of. Like they're joined together, but they're two separate entities, I guess. 
So after the proper burial rites are given, that is when the soul can leave the body. There is also another chapter that engages with the idea of the body and the person being separated, and this was in The Prisoner 1990. So the prisoner here is being interrogated, and the way they do this is by torturing him. He states that this process is always the same. The first stage in a sequence which unfolded exactly the same way every time. The whole process seemingly designed to hammer home a single fact that my body was no longer my own, that my life had been taken entirely out of my hands and the only thing I was permitted to do now was to experience pain. Pain so intense, I felt sure I was going to lose my mind. So horrific that I literally did lose control of my body, pissing and shitting myself. So Han shows the way our body reacts to intense pain and how many of those reactions are uncontrollable. These actions are involuntary, and it's how she explores the idea of the body and the self being separate again. For me, one of the most prominent chapters in this book is about an editor, and that's where the barley tea is from. And this is the chapter that I keep going back to and reading. The imagery of this chapter is so vivid that I have a false memory of seeing the play that the editor was working on, and I know that I've never seen it, I know there was no way that I could have seen it because it was in Korean and I do not understand Korean. But I have this vivid memory of having watched the play. And somehow Han's writing is very visceral. And each chapter is hard hitting, but they hit differently. And you just kind of have to sit there and take it as it comes in. This book is as much about the cruelty of humanity as it is about the kindness and the resilience of humanity. You see a lot of ordinary people become heroes in this book just because they care about the people around them or they're willing to help the people around them even if they get hurt. It is a paradox of humanity that Han doesn't resolve at the end of the novel. So if we can be cruel or we can be kind, then we should choose to be kind to everyone. To finish off this episode, my favourite quote from this book that didn't make it into today's episode is Trees, you are told, survive on a single breath per day. When the sun rises, they drink in a long, luxurious draught of its rays, and when it sets, they exhale a great stream of carbon dioxide. Those trees over there who hold those long breaths within themselves with such unwavering patience are bending under the onslaught of rain. If you would like to find out more about the Guangzhou Uprising or take a look at Han's interview with the White Review, or even Deborah Smith's essay for the Asymptote magazine. I'm going to be linking those into the show description so you can find them and read up more on them if that's what you want to take a look at. So my social medias are finally set up. You can find me at Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So if there's stuff in the book that you want to discuss or if there's a book that you think will be super cool to do for the podcast, do let me know. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, please leave a rating. It makes it easier for other people to find me and it would be a great help to me too if you have any other book nerds in your life who love to read books but also love to hear a single person talking into a microphone rather madly about books by herself. You should totally tell them about this podcast too. My next book for my next episode will be The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Bye!